Omega Man Radio has been commissioned to invade deep into enemy territory, drive out the hosts of hell, and take back the land. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only name written under heaven by which men might be saved. Cast out demons and pray for the sick that they may be healed in Jesus' name. If this program is a blessing to you and you would like to take part in this harvest of men's souls, join with us and attack the hosts of hell by donating any amount online at www.omegamanradio.com. Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, I can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. concerning the lives, the minds, and the bodies of these people who stand here. We rebuke you and every foul spirit that may still have a resting place somewhere in their uh, innermost being. We bind them. For these people have heard the call of God to dedicate and consecrate themselves to God, and you must flee and your host must be defeated utterly. We come against you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we bind every foul and wicked spirit that would bind body, mind, soul, any area of their life to keep it from being effective for the Lord. We bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we loose on these people the spirits of power, love, sound mind. We loose the spirits of wisdom, revelation. We loose the spirits of courage. We loose the spirits of power over the enemy. And we loose all the spirits of God to do their office work in and through these people as they go forth. Welcome, welcome to the end times. Are you ready? Are you ready to endure till the end? Calling all who name Jesus Christ Lord. It's time to man up and report to the battle lines. Grab your coffee and sword and strap on your Ephesians 6 armor. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America Babylon and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you're listening to Omega Man Radio with Shannon Davis. All right, let's get this show started tonight. 
Glad to be back with you. Praise the Lord. I'm glad it's the weekend. <laughs> Can slow down just a little bit, but not over here at Omega Man Radio. As you know, we do double shows tonight, and uh, just about every night we're, we're doing live radio. But it's an honor and a privilege to be back with you again tonight. Uh, special guest, Benjamin Baruch. He'll be live with us here in just a moment. And if this is the first time listening to Omega Man Radio, I want to thank you for tuning in. Spread the word. Um, feel free to copy these programs, burn CDs. However, we need to get the word out. That's uh, that's the goal here is to teach people that um, there is help in Jesus Christ. He can save you. He can set you free, and he can heal you. And just as he said in his word, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we praise the Lord Jesus that he came to set the captives free. Benjamin Baruch is our special guest. His website, Benjamin Baruch, spelled B-A-R-U-C-H, dot com. He's going to be bringing a word from the Lord tonight. And I uh, also encourage you to uh, get involved in our chat room. All you've got to do is just uh, sign up for a free username, and you can uh, meet some friends. Every week we open the chat room up, usually 15, 20 minutes before the show. And God bless you for coming out. Let's get this thing started. Get Benjamin on the line. Hey, brother, how are you tonight? I'm good. Glad to be back. Hey, man, how did you like those old-timey uh, songs? Did that bring back any memories? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey, man, you don't hear those those kind of melodies anymore, hardly. But praise God. Uh, yeah, it's great. Hey, man. Well, listen, it's, uh, it's great to have you back tonight. How's uh, things been going for you? Well, things are good. Things are good. I um, spent some time in prayer before the program today, and and um, I sought the Lord on what I should say, and what we should talk about tonight, and and I really felt the Lord speaking clearly to tell the people that all flesh is grass. And the flesh, which is grass, and the righteousness and the faithfulness of man, which is the flower of the field, it fades away. But the word of our God will abide forever. You know, our our words, much of what we do and much of what we say and much of what we accomplish or try to accomplish in our lives is just grass. Just grass. It springs up today. It's gone tomorrow. You know, in our faithfulness, our good works, our mercy, you know, it's like the flower of the field. It's there. It's beautiful for a moment, but the, the sun rises, the wind blows, the grass withers and the flowers, they fade away. But the word of our God abides forever. And uh, so that's what I really feel impressed to speak on today. And and Brother Shannon, you know, uh, please, you know, share your perspective as we go through the Scripture. But um, the part of Scripture that I want to address is, is the 40th chapter in the book of Isaiah, where that scripture is present. I believe the Lord would have us look at Isaiah 40. Amen. Folks, I hope you brought your swords with you tonight. I'm uh, getting mine here. And that's Isaiah uh, chapter 40. 
Isaiah chapter 40. And so Praise that's where we're going to start. Hallelujah. But let's begin in prayer. Amen, brother. Let's begin in prayer. Father God, we come in the name of Jesus. Yahweh. Adonai Tzvahos. Lord God Almighty. We come in the name of our Messiah, our Savior, our friend, our King. In the name of the only Holy One, Jesus Christ. Father, we come in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And we ask, Father, that you would hear us. Father, that you would grace us with the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon everyone listening to this program, upon Shannon, upon myself, that we could be led by your Spirit, that we could dwell in the midst of your spirit, that a rima word, a living word, would come forth to the edifying of your people, to your glory, Lord, for we are the workmanship of your hands. We are the sheep of your pasture. And Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. We pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and glorified today. As we look into your word, Lord, meet us in your holy word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, Benjamin, before we get started, uh, people have asked, uh, can you give us an update on Reggie? How's he doing? (laughs) Well, thank you for asking. Reggie is still uh, back in the hospital. Um, He's doing much better. He had two full days of surgery. For those that don't know the story, Reggie got into the engine compartment of the truck and got pretty hurt, got three legs broken, tendons cut, ligaments cut, some pretty major wounds to his body, Um, but he survived, and we took him to one of the top veterinarian hospitals. He had two days of surgery, and uh, I just, you know, the Lord's mercy is over his entire creation. Our God is so kind that his mercy extends to the smallest of his creatures. You know, the Lord is so good that he actually has concern for even the smallest little creatures. And Reggie is certainly one of God's small creatures. And, but he's doing much better. They, um, After two days of surgery, they pinned and wired and put screws in um, the multiple fractures in, in each of the three legs. And all that's healing up fairly well. But one part, there was so much damage that uh, the skin and the tissue died over a segment where there's a big plate, a titanium plate, screwed in to keep the leg together. And and that has not healed. And so he is still, we had to put him back in the hospital. He's been in the hospital for a week. Um, and hopefully he'll be able to go home in the next week. And uh, we are looking forward to a full recovery. But thank you for asking. And uh, Praise God. You know, That's God's awesome. so good. Yes. It is. You know, some people, you know, maybe that don't have uh, the experience of having a pet. And, you know, for much of my life I never had a pet. and So I couldn't really understand. But now I've had a, some pets. And, you know, these little creatures, you know, you fall in love with them. And, and when they hurt when they get hurt and when they suffer it just breaks your heart and and uh, so anyway we're um looking forward to Reggie making a full recovery and 
And hallelujah, God's good, you know, because the Lord cares for all of his creation because he's a good God. Amen. Amen. And, um, you know, before we get into Isaiah 40, you know, how about the news? Wow. Oh, man. I mean, is it good one God. thing or another? I mean, what, what was it? New Zealand? No. Japan. Japan. What's next? California. Oh, good grief. This is like a ping-pong match, you know, it's this, the shock waves of the changes. And, you know, we talked uh, last show, we talked about the signs in the heavens. We talked about the signs in the stars. And we also talked about the science in the heavens and what's happening in terms of the earth changes that are occurring. And, you know, the latest earthquake or earthquakes of Christ Church in New Zealand, what was that, a week ago, two weeks ago, and now Japan. That's right. You know, megaquake in Japan, and, and wow. what's coming next, California, so say the scientists. The, um, it's not over yet. They're even talking about a, uh, a potential meltdown of that reactor. And so you've got, well, uh, you've got Japan. Uh, in fact, I... <laughs> I, I was late to the news. I don't uh, catch much TV during the day. Maybe at the end of the day I unwind a little bit, turn it on a little bit. But uh, I got an email. My mother said, uh, hey, you need to come home if you can. And I'm thinking, what for? She says, uh, there's a tsunami alert where you're at. And then uh, I talked to someone else. said, did you see the news? And I said, no, what's going on? They told me. And then I went and tried to catch some of the footage. And I saw that uh, footage everybody else did. Massive columns of water, man, just... Uh, washing cars away like little toy trucks, bobbing up and down in the swell. And um, what, uh, 10,000 people missing right now, last count, or is it more? Well, I don't know the numbers, but it was a mega quake. And um, the physicist that, that I've been able to meet, who is an expert in the science of what's happening, um, this gentleman actually called me yesterday and, you know, commenting about Japan. And, you know, he, he had mentioned that he had recently met with a couple of other scientists from around the world. And after they conferred, the other scientists basically said, you're right. All of this is coming to pass because of this external radiation. It's destabilizing the earth. It's destabilizing the core. That the actual temperature of the core of our planet is going up. And with that increase in temperature, the magnetic shield around the Earth is going down. And as the magnetic shield is falling, uh, the sun itself is becoming hotter in a sense that there's higher levels of irradiation occurring. There are larger coronal mass ejections, larger solar flares, and we are now heading into the peak sunspot cycle, which I think is going to peak around 2012. So hold on to your hat, friends. We've seen nothing yet. This is just the coming attractions. And these scientists believe that California is next. And I asked them, well, what's the time frame? If, if there were an estimate, what would be the estimate? And they said, in the next 90 days. Whoa. And then Did I we... asked them, well, what should people in California do? Forget about buying food, buy a Zodiac. Wow. 
because you're going to get wet if you live down in Cali. Not a horoscope, folks. We're talking a military-grade rubber raft. (laughs) We're talking, yeah. I went looking for those one time. serious or tongue-in-cheek, but (laughs) their expectation is that the quake that's coming to Southern California is actually going to be a zipper quake. That's what they call it, a zipper. They believe it's going to zip the whole West Coast, all the way to the Aleutian Islands. Good grief. It's going to be a continental quake. Which means it'll shake a good part of the United States. So let's well, look lose. at. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, look at uh, some of the waves that were already splashing on the uh, the West Coast. I heard. No, I'm not talking about the waves. I'm saying it's an earthquake that's going to actually manifest from San Diego, California, which will be the epicenter, all the way to the Aleutian Islands. The entire continental plate is going to let go. Oh it's man, you're talking about the big one. Several thousand miles long. It'll wow. be the biggest earthquake ever recorded. It's the superquake. And they think it could come in the next ninety days. Now would that be uh tied in at all with that um that San Madreas fault or that fault line they say it may go up the middle of the United States too? Well the Madrid fault is in the Mississippi area. New, Ma- uh, New Madrid line, is that what it's called? Yeah, the New Madrid um okay. I don't think the San Andreas or the the Pacific Plate is tied to the New Madrid. I think the New Madrid is comes down to the continental plates that are sort of off of um, the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm certainly not a geologist and I'm not an expert in these things. But I do find it interesting um, that these earthquakes are definitely increasing in intensity and frequency. I mean, we had Haiti, Chile, New Zealand, boom, now Japan within a few weeks. Oh, but the Middle East is burning. Oh, no, I mean, the financial system's collapsing. No, the wars are raging out of control. Oh, the U.S. is going broke. Wait a minute, but the earthquakes are destroying countries now. Oh, but we're running out of water. I mean, we're running out of food. I'm sorry, the ecosystem is collapsing. No, the birds are dying. What crisis do you want to focus on? I mean, how are people asleep with all of what is happening, Shannon? How do you not wake up and go, you know what, this is not like it used to be. You guys remember, you know, people that are a little older than their 20s or 30s, you guys that are in your 40s and 50s, do you remember the 1970s, the 1960s? I mean, for the most part, it was a pretty calm world. Now it's like... The crisis of the week, you know? Man, that's like true. It's surprise. It's like every day, you know, you wake up. What's today's crisis? Is it the, you know, raging revolution in the Middle East, or is it the wars that are out of control? How many wars are occurring on the planet right now? How many wars are we fighting? Do we I heard we're over all the wars. A hundred countries, at least. You know, we have some, some troops stationed. Uh, I mean, it's happening so fast, you almost become desensitized to it, you know? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's I mean, we heard about Egypt. I mean, Tunisia. you've got a situation that is spiraling out of control. The world's financial system's falling apart. But the United States of America has resorted to printing trillions of dollars of paper money. That never works. All that does is delay and increase the disaster. It does buy you a little time, but it ultimately impoverishes your country. You know, if you wanted to delay the inevitable and make the final day of reckoning all the more deadly for the Americans, then by all means, 
print on. Crank those printing presses up. But it's not going to end well for America. You don't solve a problem of a world that's insolvent, that's got too much debt, that can't pay for the the cost of its debt. You don't fix that by borrowing more money. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. What amazes me, Shannon, is all of these supposedly intelligent people that that on the television talk about this nonsense like it's somehow legitimate. You know. And I don't want to go off on finance or on the military meltdown that's occurring or on the ecosystem collapse or but it it just kind of startling, isn't it, when you really stand back and think about it and say, you know what? There are more crises that are simultaneously escalating than at any time that I can remember in the history of the world that I've studied, and I've studied history pretty carefully. I don't ever remember a time like this. Do you? No, sir. It's Matthew 24, I believe, being fulfilled. Earthquakes in diverse places. Definitely. Wars and rumors of wars. Uh, well, and nations raging for the fear of what's coming upon the earth. There are no solutions, Shannon. There's no solutions. I mean, look at New Orleans, which was destroyed, what, five years ago at this point or something? Yes. We haven't rebuilt that city. We never will. They never will. They never will. And, In fact, and, uh, I'm looking for another hit to be done on it. Uh, you know, Jonathan Hanson said the Lord told him that wouldn't be the last time. They'll try to rebuild it, and it'll be hit again, and they'll never do anything over there again. You know, it's kind of interesting how things run in cycles. It was about this time last year, <clears throat> February, March, you know. We were having earthquake rumblings. Uh, I was in Costa Rica at the time. There was a volcano that lit up. And as you said, it's a chain reaction, you know. As that earthquake started, what, it lit up that volcano in Indonesia, two of them? Right. Uh, if I got my news straight, and so it's just it's a chain reaction, and right. it has a chain reaction in the financial markets. So if you had to take a best guess, where do you think we are in the end line, in the in the timeline of the end? Oh, I I, I don't need to guess. I know where we are. We're pretty the close. Lord aren't we? gave me the insight and understanding to it um, in the last few months. Now this is my opinion. It's not a prophecy. Could I be wrong? Sure. You know, God gives us greater and greater insight over time, but um, my confidence level and my perspective is uh, pretty high right now. And, and and we will very quickly get confirmation of whether what I'm sharing with you is accurate. We'll get it confirmed this summer by a financial collapse. But where I think we are, Shannon, yes. I think that we have entered into the uh, the final phase of judgment on the financial system, and it's going to collapse completely in the next year. The world financial system will collapse. I think during that collapse, we're going to transition into the persecution of the church. And I mean in the United States. Following the persecution of the church you're then going to see the kingdom of the Antichrist, the one world government of the Antichrist, rise in power following World War III, which is, in Scripture, the Battle of Ezekiel 38. 
and I would estimate that World War III will occur sometime around the fall of the year 2012. So I would say we are 18 months away from World War III. God have mercy. Um, would that uh, kick off the tribulation period? Do you think we would go three and a half, seven years? What's your take on that? It's going to kick off the rise of the Antichrist and the New World Order, which I believe is scheduled to be to come forth, to come up out of the abyss, if you will, coincident with the changing of the calendar on December 21st, 2012, as we exit the current astronomical age of Pisces and we enter the new astronomical age of Aquarius, and the Earth and our Sun and our solar system passes through what's known as the dark rift of the galaxy, the dark center of the Milky Way, which some refer to as the womb of the universe. And we are born again into the new age. And as we enter into the new age of Aquarius, which will come at the end of 2012, we will also enter the new world order of the Antichrist. And the new world order will be coming to power. They will be erecting the one world government in the, by the end of 2012 because the current world order, which is the Western U.S.-centered economic system, political and military system that is all organized around U.S. leadership, the U.S. military is the stabilizing military force, U.S. policy, the U.S. institutions, the IMF, the U.N., the, the World Bank, all of these are U.S.-sponsored institutions through which the American empire projects U.S. interest and U.S. power. All of that is going to come down in ruins as America collapses first financially and then spectacularly America's going to collapse militarily. In the Here's world. a question from the uh, the chat room. It says, question for Ben. When might there be a fake rapture? Do you think that there will be um, fake anything rapture. like that? Wow, that's a wild one. Um, you know, I don't really know. I'd have to think about that. Uh, you know, there 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 is a, a, a rapture. There is going to be a day when those that are left alive are caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. That's going to happen at the last trumpet, which is at the end. Um, but what's coming in terms of pre-trib, a lot of the church believes in a pre-trib rapture. I say no, there's no pre-trib rapture, but there is a pre-trib capture. Most of the Christians are going to be captured. Wow. Not raptured. And I've had Christians tell me, well, I know I'm no tribulation saint. I go, well, that's probably true. You're probably going to die as a martyr before the final tribulation gets here. Lord Jesus, help us. Much of the church will be martyred before the tribulation begins. You know, the tribulation is actually the final three and a half years. And if the one world government of the beast comes to power at the end of 2012, then at the midpoint of, of the seven-year period that commences at that time, which would be the spring of 2016. That's when the Great Tribulation would begin. And you know what's fascinating, Shannon, is if you look at the prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, 
where it talks about the 70 weeks? Yes. We are told that from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem at the time of the end until the revelation of the Messiah as the prince, not as the king of kings and lord of lords, which is what is Jesus' title when he comes back at the end, but the revelation of the Son of Man is the prince, which is the 144,000 being revealed at the same time that the Antichrist is revealed through the abomination that makes it desolate. Those two events occur on the same day. The Son of Man is revealed. That's from Luke chapter 17. The same time that the abomination that makes it desolate is revealed in Matthew 24. That is precisely seven weeks from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And what confused everybody is that the decree pertained to the old city, the holy city, and the holy city was not under Israeli control until 1967. And although the Knesset issued the law, they issued the decree in 1950, it had no legal standing until 1967. So if we count seven weeks, which is 49 years from 1967, we get 2016 as the start of the Great Tribulation. And if the Antichrist comes forward and the New World Order comes to power and begins to rule the earth for seven years, and in the midst of that final seven years, the Great Tribulation starts, then that means the New World Order comes to power at the end of 2012. Which, I find it ironic that sources, and this is confidential, this is um, authentic information from uh, highly credible sources within our intelligence community. These are professionals at the executive level. And they are saying that, um, number one, the events that are occurring in the Middle East, in terms of the uprising, the the rebellion in the streets by the common man um, to overthrow the existing dictatorships, and virtually all Middle Eastern countries are, are under some form of dictatorship, either political dictatorship or Islamic religious dictatorship. There are no free democracies in the Middle East, but this uprising that's occurring in Egypt and Tunisia and now in Libya and in Bahrain and it's threatening Jordan and Saudi and other countries is, number one, being supported and orchestrated in part by forces from Russia, from the Communist Alliance, forces from the radical Islamic countries like Iran working together. The number one objective is to destabilize and to overthrow the pro-American regimes within the region. So we're talking Mubarak. Egypt was an ally of the United States. Well, that's going to be over. Bahrain, the, the Fifth Fleet is in Bahrain. If Bahrain falls and becomes a radical Islamic state, there won't be any Fifth Fleet there anymore unless we want to defend that ground by military force. You know, the various countries that are falling are not falling into pro-Western democracies. They're falling into radical Islamic uh, countries, similar to what happened when the Shah of Iran was deposed and democracy came to Iran in, 19, in the late 1970s, I think it was 79. What ultimately arose to power was an Islamic republic that was very anti-American and very pro-communist and pro-Russia. 
that's just the first dimension of what's happening. Second, the this uprising, this revolutionary wave that is being supported by the communist, and you know, for our listeners who have understanding, behind the communist are the satanic forces. And the satanic forces control more than just the commies, the reds. They also control the international banking cartel, which is a criminal conspiracy, which is a satanic conspiracy. So these satanic forces that control the Western banking elite also control the communist political systems in Russia and China. They control radical Islam. It's all satanic in a different differing dimensions, differing manifestations of essentially satanic government, right? Those satanic forces intend to throw the Middle East into radical Islam so it can be dominated by Iran and ultimately Russia. Their near-term objective, once they've destabilized a sufficient number of pro-American states, their near-term objective will be to compel OPEC to abandon the dollar. And the expectation is that will occur this summer. Wow. And when OPEC abandons the dollar, now you're going to get a real financial crisis in the U.S. Now you're going to get the real meltdown. Because suddenly gasoline will be, you know, 6 $7 a gallon. The cost of importing all of the stuff we import will no longer be free because we won't be able to pay with just paper money. We print it up but we'll have to start paying with real money. And so that'll set in motion the financial collapse. These same sources are also commenting they believe the next 9-11 is this fall. And that involves seven cities getting hit with weapons of mass destruction. Good grief. Now, if that report, which is an official report coming from the highest level of our intelligence community, and I asked, what's the probability assessment of this report? And I was told 100%. Now, I don't understand how you can have a 100% probability assessment on a forecast, but they do. I tell you, I was uh, listening to some of the news coming out of Libya. How interesting it is that Muammar Gaddafi is uh, blaming it all on al-Qaeda. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trying to he's trying to. Well, in, in other words, we know al-Qaeda is a joke, folks. In fact, um, it was determined even before September 11th that that was a creation of the CIA. It's the famous bogeyman in 1984. You create the enemy, and because you create them, you can keep them alive forever. You just blame the trouble on some phantom menace. I'm not saying that there are not real terrorists out there, but it was kind of an inside joke if you could read it from uh, Gaddafi. You know, we blame al-Qaeda on everything, so he decided to get in on the mix. It was al-Qaeda who did it. We put down (laughs) al-Qaeda. But, you know, interesting... um, what do you think uh, our intelligence agents want to see? Do we want to see him taken out and replaced, or are we comfortable with him in there because at least we can predict him? Well, you know, you get an interesting... There's an interesting problem when you ask a question like that because what agencies are you talking about? You're talking about and the I, guy in the field? Are, are you still there, Shannon? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not... Uh, I'm not saying that you have an inside scoop. Just interested in your your thoughts. Well, uh, again, you know, you if you look truth, at the history, I think Bin Laden um, was 
you know, a be- he was a brilliant media creation. I mean, he's he's the perfect archetypal hero. You know, he's the he's the perfect enemy. And if by chance we were to accidentally kill the guy, we would have to spend lots of money recreating a new villain. So, my own opinion is, mm, I don't look for him to be found anytime soon. <laughs> and uh, well, just, n- nor do I think. Um, Two guys in a cave with a cell phone are particularly the threat that we're told that they are. I think it's, you know... I mean, it's the oldest game in the book, you know? You oh, create this external threat, and and that al- allows you to do whatever you want in terms of law and military spending and, you know... Sort of like Lewis for the, the new movie Battle for Los Angeles, Invasion... By the aliens, so we've got to uh, launch some some internal policy changes to protect you from the the UFOs that would want to kill us all. Yeah. I think yeah. Reagan even talked about that. Um, but you know, I want to make another comment too, folks. Um, rapture versus capture. Do you really think the New World Order folks want to keep you and I in prison for a very long time? They have to feed us and. And deal with us. No, listen. Their goal is to kill you and I as swiftly as possible. It's happened throughout history. Look at what Stalin did. Look at all the purges in China. You know, look at what Hitler did. Look at all, you know, nine million Jews murdered in the um, in the gas chambers, in the ovens. That's their goal. If they can kill you and I, it makes it easier for them to get get on with their business of running the world with 500 million people. Worldwide as population, they want to kill 5.5 to 6 billion of us. Then to get to that point, so that will be their goal. Of course, uh, we know that people are going to live through the tribulation period. There'll be some even that see Jesus return at the last trump. I don't know what kind of um, quality of life you'll have at that point in time. <laughs> you probably want to want to go up early, but you know, then again, there's some of us that are warrior warriors at heart. And uh, I'm looking forward to the battle and, you know, want to uh, go after some of the reward. Of course, I'm not saying that we, we need to look forward to the day of the Lord. The word is clear about that. You are a fool if you look forward to the day of the Lord, isn't it? That's not going to be a nice time to be living, is it? Well, we're about to find out because it's about <laughs> to begin. Let me just, uh, I'd like to read Amen. a little bit from, um, you know, talking about all of these things from that book, Apollyon Rising 2012. Yes. And this is from that text. Symbolically, the Twin Towers in New York, as pillars, echoed the Masonic archetype, where the pillars of Hercules, Enoch, and Solomon represented passageways beyond which one could travel to reclaim what is believed lost in Atlantis, a time known to the Greeks as the Golden Age of Osiris. Accordingly, If before 9-11, the leaders representing the dark powers of the earth determined that the time for the ascendancy of the new Atlantis had arrived, occult traditions suggest they would have triggered an event involving a mega-ritual offering, powerful enough to compel the supernatural forces over the nation to move their invisible empire beyond the symbolic pillars of of the Twin Towers of New York. Regardless of how fantastic it might seem, a thorough examination of the events 
happening on and around 9-11. Affirm what linguistics specialists refer to as persuasive evidence of an open conspiracy. Or as one flatly stated, an undeniable occult signature linked to 9-11. In occult numerology, the number 11 means much more than this. It is the first master mason number, and it represents the dark vision declared. When doubled to the number 22, the vision is combined with action. When tripled to the number 33, it represents the highest and most important action in Freemasonry. It means vision and action have combined to produce accomplishment in the world. It is therefore no coincidence that exactly 11 years to the day following George Bush Sr.'s New World Order speech on September 11, 1990, in which the then-President Bush declared, Now we can see, coming into view, a new world order. That was the declaration of the dark vision, declaring what was hidden in the darkness. Now we can see what was previously hidden in darkness. Coming into view, this new world order is beginning to rise. Eleven years later, on 9-11-2001, Shannon, Flight 11 was the first plane wow. crashing the Twin Towers. And the appearance side-by-side not only formed a perfect Masonic-like pillared gateway to the spirit world, but architecturally depicted the number 11. Also consider that Flight 11 hit the towers first, and Flight 11 had 11 crew members. New York was the 11th state added to the Union. The words New York City have 11 letters. Afghanistan, the first nation the U.S. attacked following 9-11, had 11 letters in its name. George W. Bush has 11 letters. The Pentagon, which was also attacked on 9-11, has 11 letters. And Flight 77, another Master Mason number, which hit the Pentagon also on that day, it's interesting that the Pentagon is located on the 77th meridian. And so they fly Flight 77 into the Pentagon. And the foundation of the Pentagon, the cornerstone was laid on September 11th, 1941 in a Masonic ceremony. Numerous elements from the 11th labor of Hercules, which is part of Greek mythology, which is the rebuilding of the temple of Apollyon so that the the god Zeus's son, Apollyon, who represents the Antichrist, can come back to the earth and restore the Saturnic kingdom. Numerous elements from the 11th labor of Hercules stand out as important to occultists when appreciating the message of 9-11. First, the obvious number 11, which marked the attack on the Twin Towers in New York as a work of destructive force. Second, the arch-villain, in this case, played by Osama bin Laden, whose last name is remarkable in that bin Laden means the son of Laden, or alternatively, the son of Laden. And in the mythical story of Hercules, Hercules mission was to battle a multi-headed dragon whose name was Laden. So here you've got this multi-headed, 
terrorist organization headed by bin Laden. Isn't it nothing more than the picture of the dragon that Hercules is wrestling against with its many heads? Where if you chop off one, you're still facing the beast. The result of all of this is a fire created in the minds of men. The releasing of Prometheus, which moved through and then beyond the Twin Towers, the Pillars of New York, the Pillars of Atlas, quickly resulting in a universal appeal or call for a new world order. So there you have it. It was announced in 1990. Eleven years later, the action began. Okay, the number 22, beginning the action. The number 33, completion of the task. What's 11 years following 9-11-2001, Shannon? Whoa. 2012. They will complete their task in the next 18 months. Okay, well, what is their task? Well, the scripture tells us. They hate the woman Babylon. They're going to eat her flesh, and then they're going to burn her cities with fire. And when they burn Babylon, the whole world will tremble. Because if the great America Babylon can fall, who can stand? And so all the nations of the world will quickly surrender their sovereignty to the beast rising out of the sea. They will, tra they will trade their freedom for the promise of security, for the promise of peace and safety. And they will cry, peace, peace, but there will be no peace. And it says in the book of Daniel, by peace he shall destroy wonderfully. You know, it's the agenda of the Antichrist to bring peace to the earth. But through his peace he will bring incredible, fantastic destruction. And that is exactly where we are headed. We are about to see the culmination of the current age end. And we are about to see the beast rise from the ashes of this current world order. And, you know, the amazing thing is it's happening right before our eyes. And yet, Shannon, almost nobody can see it. Almost nobody can see it. Brother, it's because they've got their eyes focused on something else, like uh, what's going on with Charlie Sheen? <laughs> yeah. Or American Idol. Or, um, did, did, did you see he, he said he was a warlock? Yeah, he... Uh, he says, well, I don't believe that he's, uh, he really has ever been involved in the occult, but clearly well, his uh, sexual escapades and, uh, and drug use precedes himself. Yeah. But you know what? Well, in his own words, he would, he, he's borne witness that he's involved in the occult. You know, I look at that. I mean, who hasn't been involved in, in some kind of sin? I see him as a lost soul, and really I'm rooting for him. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, God is... Um, Going to get a hold of this brother, and he'll be able to. Oh, you know, sure, get sure. Well, let's not get off on that. that <laughs> no, I, I wanted to uh, say that for the the people of the world who were quick to criticize others for falling. You know, folks, if God could save the world's worst sinner, myself, He can save anybody. You know, He can take Humpty Dumpty and put him back together again. And uh, I praise God that He doesn't uh, give up on us when we fall or when we make a mistake. You know, look at who Jesus called. And we need to remember that, because there are people dying out there. There's no telling how many people died in the earthquake a few days ago in Japan. They, some of them, they'll never know what happened to them, because they got washed out to sea. There right. were bodies being washed up on the shore, even this morning. My point is, is some of those people went right into eternity. And I can tell you, the likelihood of finding a lot of Christians in Japan is probably rare, 
because most of them are Shinto followers. You know, they're Buddhist. And um, we need to preach the gospel to people because if they didn't know Christ when they died, there's no second chance. There's no coming back and doing it over again. This wasn't a test run. This is the real thing, folks. You've got until the Spirit leaves your body to accept Jesus Christ. And, you know, really, I think what's happening, Benjamin, is um, God is going to turn the heat, turn the heat up every day, every week. And he's going to force people who have been on the the fence straddling it, calling themselves Christians but showing no fruit, to make a decision. Are they going to uh, be hot for Jesus or are they going to fall away with the rest? When the persecution comes and many are offended. We'll know who's a real Christian or not when you have an option to go to the concentration camp or deny Jesus to save your life or to to testify for Jesus Christ and lose your head on a guillotine. So I would say, hey, we need to be uh, very cognizant of the time we're living in. We need to realize that whatever we're going to do, we've got to do it quickly. And at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's only by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, because as you said in the beginning, we all are grass, brother. Grass doesn't last forever. No, it doesn't. So, um, Shannon, should we take the break now and then and come back and get into Isaiah? Absolutely. We're going to take just a uh, quick break, and then we're going to uh, come back and uh, have your Bibles ready, your Word. We're going to be going into uh, Isaiah 40. And if you're just tuning in, this is a live program today. It's my special honor to have Benjamin Brooke back today. Praise God that he's back today, and we're going to be doing some... Uh, Studying the Word, Searching the Scriptures. And then again at uh, 8 o'clock tonight, we're going to be doing a program called Real Deliverance with Pastor Charles Costello. So thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and tune in each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific to the Omega Man Radio Network with your host, Shannon Ray Davis. Omega Man Radio is taking enemy territory for Jesus Christ, Yahshua preaching the gospel of the Messiah, and ministering in deliverance and miracle healing. Add some great guest interviews, and you have the recipe for fresh oil for the airwaves. Tune in at OmegaManRadio.com. Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in, because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America, Babylon, and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. That was a little short break, and we're back. Uh, tonight we've got Benjamin Brooke on the telephone lines. This episode is called Searching the Scriptures. We're uh, going to be going through Isaiah 40. So get your word out. Uh, Benjamin's going to be bringing you a word that uh, God gave him today from Isaiah 40. And if you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you to Mega Man Radio. 
After the conclusion of every program, we have this program put up into the MP3 archives. You're welcome to download it, share it with your friends. You can also download over at iTunes. We have our new website uh, up and running, omegamanradio.com. If you need uh, prayer, if you're not able to uh, catch these phone, uh, excuse me, the phone lines when they're open during the live show, just email us at omegamanradio at yahoo.com, and we will make contact with you before show. In fact, I talked to a brother today over in London, England, made a good friend, and we prayed a little bit. And uh, with Skype now, everything is possible. We can call you anywhere in the world you are and pray. And the Lord's able to meet your needs. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, God says in Malachi, I'm the Lord thy God. I change not. So uh, the word of the Lord is for today. It, it has power. And it's the only thing that's going to save us in the times ahead. Let's get uh, Benjamin back on the line. Stand by. All right, Benjamin. Welcome back. Well, thank you. And I'm ready to go through some word here. I've got my King James okay. hand. Well, good. Let's start in Isaiah. Praise God. Chapter 40. Comfort. I'm reading from the King James Version. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. And that word for comfort is nacham. And this is really interesting. It means to sigh. That is to breathe strongly. To be sorry. That is, in a favorable sense, to show pity, to console, to repent, to comfort, sigh, breathe, repent, my people. God's speaking favorably, but he's telling his people to repent. The Spirit's speaking favorably, with pity, with consolation, but with a call to repentance. That's what that word means. Isn't that profound? Absolutely profound. Yes. Isaiah Isaiah 40, verse 2. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This word, speak, is dabar, and it means to appoint, to command, to declare, to pronounce. It's the power of divine declaration to ordain. God has ordained repentance and restoration for his people. He's commanding it. He's declaring it. When he says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. Shannon, that word for warfare is sabah, and it literally means an army or a military campaign against you, a battle against you. Hardship, figuratively, represents a time of hardship, an appointed time of testing and hardship. And the Lord is telling Jerusalem, he's telling his people, your time of hardship is accomplished. The time of battle and warfare in your life is accomplished. And your iniquity is pardoned. And the word for iniquity is avon. I just get a kick out of that. 
I think of Avon calling, you know, the, the door-to-door salesman selling all that, you know, Jezebel makeup stuff. Iniquity calling, you know. Well, thank you. You can keep on going. Don't stop in my house. But the word for iniquity in the Hebrew is Avon, and it means perversity, evil, iniquity, sin. Your sin has been pardoned. For she, Jerusalem, God's people, have received of the Lord's hand double for all your sins. That word for hand is yod, and it means an open hand indicating power, the means, the direction, the ability to enforce. God's open hand, he's opened his hand, and he's poured out into the lives of his people double for their sin. And, you know, this is really interesting. You get so much out of searching the detailed meaning of the scriptures. That word for double is kafel in the Hebrew, and it means a duplicate. It can translate to double, but actually it means to duplicate. God has given us a judgment that is the duplicate of our sin. And isn't that what he said in the Word? He's going to pour back into each one of our lives the very sins we chose. In, in reality, he's judged us by our sin. The fruit of it, the consequence of it, brought the very judgment. You know, seed which gave birth to that which was according to its own kind. You sow seeds in the flesh and you get that harvest. And that's the judgment according to the same kind. That's, what an eye-opener, the cost of sin. You know, the church had a deception come upon it. And I think we've all seen this deception where people felt they had this, the ability, the freedom to sin a little. You know, we're saved by grace. God saved us. We believe, you know, we can sin a little. God will forgive us. I don't know if I've, I've ever met a Christian that hasn't been deceived like that at some point in their life, you know, while we were carnal, while we were immature, willfully sinning. You know, little things. A little here, a little there. And oh, the price. The price. No one warned us about the price. The cost. Oh, my word, the cost. You know, the worm on the hook might look good, but once the hook's in the mouth, it is no longer good. But we've received a duplicate for all of our sins. God brought judgment. He brought warfare. He brought hardship. He brought an army against us. He sent a whole army of locusts into the land and canker worms and caterpillars and they they ate the whole harvest. They ate everything. The land was utterly blithe and he ordered and and the rain was withheld. And there was no rain. And there's no water. And the land became dry and parched. And the people were perishing. 
because there was no water. And there was a famine of hearing the word of God. All of this came because the church decided we had the right to sin. Isn't that what God's salvation was all about? Giving us the freedom to sin? Jesus punched our ticket to heaven so we can live like hell. Oh, nobody admitted that that's what it was, but when we chose open compromise... That deception came upon the church. Much like ancient Israel was deceived, we're the children of Abraham. We can get away with whatever, right? They presumed, hey, we're the descendants of Abraham. We're God's chosen. We can compromise a little. Consent a little. A little leaven. A little unbelief. A little sin. Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. And that word for voice, Shannon, it's the Hebrew word kole. And it means to call out loud, to proclaim a thundering voice, to yell. This voice that's crying in the wilderness is not a timid voice. This is a loud voice. And the word for crieth is kara, and it means the idea of accosting a person to call them out, to call forth. It's a get-in-your-face voice. John the Baptist came in fulfillment of this scripture, and he got in their face. And when they showed up, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is about to come forth? Why are you tuning into this program? Why are you listening to me? That's the meaning of kara, the idea of accosting a person, to call forth It also translates to be famous. This kind of voice gets noticed. It means to preach, to proclaim, to pronounce. Crying out in the face of the people in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. The word for prepare is pana. It means to turn your face and to look to the way of the Lord, to have regard for the ways of the Lord, to respect the way of the Lord, to return to the way of the Lord, and to do so that right early. It doesn't mean tomorrow. It means when you hear this voice, you turn to the way of the Lord, and you turn right now. And the word for way is derek. It means the road, the trodden road, or Figuratively, it means the course of your life, your mode of action, your custom, your manner, the Lord's way, the Lord's custom, the Lord's manner, the ways of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway. And that word for straight is yashar, and it means to make right, to make pleasant, to make prosperous to make pleasing, highly esteemed, upright, the straight way. To make your ways highly esteemed and pleasant 
in the eyes of the Lord. And it's interesting, that word yashar, it's very close to the word yathar. There's only one letter different. And yathar means to leave a righteous remnant. So to walk in the straight path is to walk with the righteous remnant. Isaiah 40, verse 4. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the valley, that which is low, that which has been humbled and abased, shall be lifted up. That word for exalted means lifted up. But every mountain and every hill, every high thing, Shannon, shall be made low. Everyone that is high-minded. Oh, knowledge puffs up, brothers and sisters. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies, but knowledge puffs up. And in this hour, there are a lot of puffed-up people. There's very little love left. For the love of many has grown cold. But the puffed-up have grown bold. Presuming their knowledge is somehow the synonym for righteous. But knowledge leading to puffed up people is nothing more than pride. And it is an abomination. Everything that is lifted up shall be made low. And the word for low is shafel. And it means to sink. Shannon, it means to humiliate, to abase, to violently cast down, to humble, to make lower. Here the Lord is basically saying, everyone that humbles themselves to the contrite of heart, he's going to exalt them. They're going to receive of his horn of salvation. But to everyone who is high-minded and lifted up in their own eyes, they are going to be humiliated. They're going to be humbled. God is going to violently throw them down. And that's this hour. There aren't many humble. There are many that are puffed up. There aren't many righteous. There are many religious. There be few righteous. There are many who declare, we are the sons of Abraham. The remnant be few in number. It's a time to learn the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, has declared it, has ordained it. Verse 6, the voice said, cry, speak, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is as the flowers that's what the Lord spoke to me this morning when I said Lord what should I tell the people today what should I say to them 
tell them that all flesh is grass, and the flowers thereof shall fade. The grass fades and the flowers wither, but the word of our God abides forever. The flesh, that which is a flesh, is grass. And the word for flesh is basard. It means a person, the body, mankind, that which pertains to the kingdom of men. It is all grass. It is all just like the grass in the field. And the goodliness, and that word is chesed, and chesed actually translates it as mercy. The, the normal translation of the word chesed is mercy. When the Lord says, I will show mercy to you, he says, I will show you chesed. The mercy of man, that word chesed also translates into the beauty, the goodness, the loving kindness, the kindness, the mercy, the pity. And by implication, piety or respect towards the Lord, the goodness of men, the mercy of men, the kindness of men is like the flowers in the field. In verse 7, the grass withers and the flowers fade because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon them. Surely the people is grass. And the word for wither is yabia. And it means to become ashamed. To be confused. To dry up or to wither without water. To become confounded. To utterly wither away. To do shamefully. The people are as grass. All flesh is grass. And the grass withers. The grass is ashamed. The grass shall be confused. The grass is drying up and withering away. And isn't that this hour, Shannon? If we are in the flesh, if we are still walking in the grass, if our life is really just grass, just flesh, we are withering, we are drying up, we are ashamed because there's no fruit. Grass doesn't bear fruit. It does have flowers, but they fade so quickly. There's no fruit that comes out of grass. And the flowers in, in the lawn, the flowers in the fields, they just fade away. And so the grass is ashamed, it's disappointed, it's withering, it's being confounded. And you can't stand in this hour in the flesh. What came upon Japan is about to come upon all the earth. What came to Haiti, what came to New Zealand, what came to New Orleans, it's coming to the new city near you soon. And the grass will wither, the grass will become ashamed. And the flowers fade. And the flowers are the goodness the mercy. It just fades away. And the word is nabel, and it means to wilt, to fall away, to be foolish, to dishonor, to lightly esteem, to fall down, to come to nothing, to make vile, to wither away. The flowers represent the mercy and the loving kindness of men. And it just fades away. 
grass, he withers, becomes ashamed and confused. People walking in the flesh are confused. And the mercy and the loving kindness that they once knew just fades away. And isn't that a picture of today? How many times have close friends just forsaken one? How many times has son turned against father, daughter against mother? A man's enemies, his own household. How many times have people cast you out because of the word of the Lord? Claiming to serve God, they attempt to destroy you. Because they don't have any chesed, they have no mercy. There's no loving kindness in these people. They... They're high and lifted up with knowledge. Their knowledge of the good and the evil. And the good they see in themselves and the evil they see in you. Oh, it's a mere reflection of the evil that's in them. But they've got that all denied. It's all buried. It's all part of that disassociation disorder where the double-minded men walk in presumption walk in deception but there's no mercy there's no faithfulness the flowers have all faded the grass withers verse 8 and the flowers fade but the word of our God shall stand forever and the word stand is kum and it means to rise intensely it means to abide the word of our God shall abide it means to accomplish, to continue, to remain, to succeed, to be sure. Yeah, the flesh is not going to save anyone. And the flesh, people in the flesh, they don't even make good friends because their friendship, their loving kindness, their mercy, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. They love you today, they're going to hate you in the morning. And believe me, they will hate you without cause. If you don't give them a cause, they don't need one. They will hate you without cause. Especially if you come with the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And the word forever is olam. And this is so awesome. It means concealed. The word of the Lord shall succeed while being concealed. It shall abide and accomplish God's intentions while being concealed. It also translates the vanishing point. The time that is out of mind, past or future, that which pertains to eternity, always. Olam means always. From the ancient time and forever, everlasting. From the beginning to the world without end. The word of our God shall abide and accomplish the will of the Lord always. I like to say the word of the Lord is true every day, and it's true in every way. Always true. But the word of men and the faithfulness of men is like a grass that withers and the flowers that fade. So put no confidence in the flesh. Place no confidence in a guide, Micah 7. Trust not in a friend. Place no confidence in a guide. Put your confidence in the word of our God. For that word can be trusted. It is sure. And it is always sure. From the ancient time 
unto the everlasting days. Beyond the vanishing point, where you can't even see that far, God's word remains true and sure unto the world without end. Hallelujah. Isaiah 40, verse 9, O Zion that brings good tidings, get thee up into thy high mountain, O Jerusalem, and bring good tidings, bring a good report. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up and lift it up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your, behold your God. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. Shannon, the word for strong hand, the word strong is hazach, and it means strong, but it it's usually in a hard or violent or bad or bold sense. It means hardest. It means hottest of fires. It means mighty. It means sore. It means stronger than anything you've ever seen. The Lord is coming with a violent, mighty, burning hotter than you can even imagine. Stronger than anything you've ever seen is about to come forth on this planet. His arm shall rule for him. And his reward is with him. And the word for reward, Shannon, Sakhar, it means payment of contract. It means salary. It means compensation. Oh. Yes, God has a compensation plan. And you're involved. It means the benefit. It means the wages. It means that which is to be rewarded. God has a compensation plan for his people. Amen. He's going to reward their acts of righteousness, and he's also going to reward their iniquity. Amen. Sin pays wages too, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, the wages of sin is a duplicate of that sin poured right into your bosom. The judgment of sin is more sin. God will turn you over to the sin. And... God's reward is with him. But a time of restoration has come for his people, but we've got to humble ourselves. If we are puffed up in our knowledge, then we are surely deceived. Because pride is an abomination. And, you know, Shannon, we were talking about earlier today how when you speak, uh, you know, and, and you've got the program, you're bringing forth, deliverance, you're bringing forth some teaching on the Word of God, you will attract enemies. You know, people, a lot of people came against me because of the book I wrote, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. You know, and I talked about a judgment on America. Oh, they did not like to hear that. You know, and I said the American financial system was a house of cards, and that the financial system was going to collapse, and oh, they gnashed their teeth at me. They like this financial system. They like it this way. You know, the American church likes this. The people want this to continue. You know, they close a blind eye to the fact that millions of babies are being slaughtered. They choose to ignore the fact that much of the American living standard was supported on slave labor from the third world and or the resources that were plundered by Western corporations 
out of the third world. You know, they don't want to know about any of that. They just want their flesh, their, you know, their pleasures of their flesh. And they want to do their own thing, and they want to believe Jesus is going to save them. Because they're the sons of Abraham, after all, right? Oh, yeah, and they've, uh, we've replaced Israel. Someone asking about that. Oh, heard sure, that yeah, you did. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, where do these doctrines of devils come from, anyway? I mean, people have such poor scholarship of the Word that, you know, they can actually believe that the Gentile church somehow replaced God's covenant people. Even though he says he's going to redeem Israel in the end, but, you know, people can be delusional. Well, I I look at it from another uh, vantage point. I I see it as the demon inside of them. Typically, those people that will come up with that line of crap, they have an anti-Semitic spirit, and you keep tracing it, they get the same spirit Hitler did. And folks, we have not replaced Israel. Okay, we've been grafted in. Right. We haven't replaced the natural branch. We're part of the commonwealth of Israel. But God is going to keep his word. To Israel, we need to we need to thank the Lord that uh we've been allowed to be adopted in. And don't think for a minute that uh we couldn't be divorced also, but he he's gonna remarry them. <laughs> oh, there's going to be multitudes of professing American Christians. Multitudes of Christians who are Americans. Yes. Who live in this hour, who quote their Bibles, go to church on Sunday, and believe beyond any doubt they are saved Christians. And Jesus himself told us on that day, the majority of them are going to say to him, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. They had a form of Christianity that did not involve knowing the Lord. You know, it involved a belief system. It involved kind of a new covenant version of what was happening in the religious system of Israel 2,000 years ago at the time of the first coming. And You know, let's, this word that was brought forth in Isaiah 40, of the voice of one that cries in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and to make straight his path in the wilderness. It was fulfilled literally in the first coming by John the Baptist. And we read of this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word for repent is metanoio, and it means to think differently or afterwards, to reconsider, to repent. Isn't that interesting? It's not just changing your sinful behavior, but it's changing your mind. Changing what you embrace in your mind. The meditation of your heart even changes. Verse 3 in Matthew, chapter 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, which we just read in Isaiah chapter 40, the prophecy, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. Boy, no no fancy $1,000 suit, no $35,000 dog, no $5,000 pen, no prosperity gospel, no private jet. He didn't even have a private camel. John was just in the wilderness. 
He was a and real loser. He didn't have three Lear jets parked down on the Hartsfield tarmac, did he? He didn't even have three camels. He I had a leather girdle about his loins, brother. and his meat was locust, wild honey. And then went out to meet him Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region round about Jordan. And they were baptized of him in the Jordan. Notice, though, that in this hour, as the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is about to be revealed unto the people, the first coming, the first ministry of the Lord, the first three and a half years of his seven-year ministry is about to begin, John is sent. But where is John sent? To the wilderness. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here we are on the advent of the second coming. Scripture and prophecy repeat themselves. Once again, the Lord has messengers prepared who are once again crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. But where are they speaking? Are they in Jerusalem? Are they in the temple? Do they have the support of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin? Does the high priest you know, bring this report? No. It's the outcast in the wilderness who've got the true word of the Lord. The religious leadership never even received John. John was actually never sent to Jerusalem. The Spirit never directed John to even go to the temple. He never once sought out the religious leadership. But they came looking for him. Because all of the people came and went out to him and were being baptized in the Jordan. And they were confessing their sins. In verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit, meat for repentance. And think not, saying within yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able out of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And the Pharisees presumed themselves the chosen of God. They had the bloodline. They were the direct descendants of Abraham. They had the law. They followed in the flesh all of the ordinances of the scriptures. It's just that in their hearts they were dead men's bones. They had the knowledge... They were puffed up. They would argue, you know, who was the smartest Pharisee? Who was the greatest rabbi? It was all about knowledge of the law. But they had no chesed. There was no loving kindness. There was no mercy. They had forgotten mercy. And they had gotten completely wrapped around their knowledge of good and evil and trying to then apply God's word, which was spoken of by the Spirit, through their perverted mind of the flesh, they're going to try to discern God's word in the Spirit. Not only for themselves, but to make a law for everyone else to follow. And if you didn't follow them, they were going to judge you. But they themselves were servants of Satan. They just didn't know it. Because they were following their own knowledge. And they were puffed up people, just like the people of this generation. Puffed up in knowledge. They were confident of their salvation. They were assured they were the chosen. 
and they could reason it out. They were following the scripture. They were obeying the law in every regard. They were the most righteous. Everyone knew they were the most holy of all the people. But it was all in the flesh. It was all outward. Flesh. And the flesh profited nothing. They were actually blind guides of the blind. Verse 10. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Of course, the men are the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. And, you know, Shannon, isn't it interesting how here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, we're told that the axe is laid into the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit. It doesn't say every tree that has the inadequate knowledge of the Word. It doesn't say every tree that has some scriptural misunderstanding. It doesn't say anything about doctrine. It's simply talking about fruit. So you could have the best tree in terms of doctrine, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It had everything, right? You mean the knowledge of good plus the knowledge of evil? Now you know everything. So since you know everything, and by the way, most people consider that they do know everything, so that pretty much describes most of humanity. They've got the knowledge of good plus the knowledge of evil. What else is there? So now they are the tree that knows everything, and they consider that their knowledge of good and evil, through which they sit in judgment, right, of their neighbors, pointing the finger, they're not right. That guy's wrong. Through which they bring division and discord among the brethren. And they think the knowledge is akin to righteousness. But the scripture says, no, the axe is going to be laid to the root of the trees, not with regard to the knowledge of good or evil, but strictly with regard to whether the fruit was good. And if the fruit is not good, the tree will be cut down and cast in the fire. Verse 11 I baptize you with water unto repentance. That was John's ministry, to turn the hearts of the people. But he that comes after me is mightier than I. His shoes I am not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And his fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And it's not going to be based on the knowledge of good and evil. You know, the flowers have faded. The grass is withered. It's dried up. There's been no water in the Spirit. The Lord is not watering the grass. He's watering the remnant. He's watering the ones that are walking in the Spirit. He's not bringing forth water upon those that are walking in the flesh. He's allowing them to dry up. Why? Because everything of the flesh is about to be judged. And how is it going to be judged? 
burned up. Well, if you plan on burning something, first you dry it out, right? It burns faster that way, doesn't it? It does. It's the more efi- you get. It just burns more efficiently. You don't leave it wet. You you let it dry out for a good season, maybe two, three. You know, you let your firewood dry for two or three years, and man, it's ready to go. And that's America today. It's firewood that's been dried out for several years. It's ready to be kindled. The flowers have long faded. You know, the loving kindness and the mercy. It's such a rare thing today. Instead, you got people gnashing their teeth with each other over doctrine. No, I'm with Paul. I'm with Silas. Well, you're not a real Christian. You believe in a rapture? You don't believe in a rapture? What do you mean a Christian can have a demon? (laughs) Yeah, you don't believe a Christian can have a demon? You obviously haven't been to church lately. What do you mean I'm going to have to suffer for Christ? Right. I thought I was going to have a Starbuck on my way up to glory. (laughs) Well, that's part of the deception of the the last days Laodicean church. They thought it was going to be an easy walk. You know, I'd like to share a little bit of uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on Matthew, uh, these sections in Matthew chapter 3, dealing with the ministry of John, which is the voice crying in the wilderness, which is a type and a shadow of the ministry of the anointed messengers that are about to come forth in this hour, which will be the forerunners or the witnesses or the messengers for the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes in his second half of his ministry, the ministry of the Lion of Judah. But John represented the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming of Elijah. He came in the power of the anointing of and the office of the prophet Elijah in the time of the first coming. And Matthew Henry made some great comments uh, dealing with this section of scripture. He says, here is a word of conviction and awakening. John begins harshly He does not call the Pharisees rabbi. He does not give them the title or the applause that they had been used to. The title he gives them is Generation of Vipers. Remember, we were looking earlier at the word in Isaiah 40, that message, that crying out message in the wilderness is an in-your-face word. Here John is fulfilling that. He's right in their face. Instead of calling them rabbi or or these glowing titles that they receive from men in the flesh, John says, you generation of vipers. Jesus gave them the same title when he met the same company of Pharisees. And they were vipers, venomous and poisonous, full of malice and enmity to everything that was good. They were a viperous brood, the seed and offspring of the same spirit. It was bred in them to the bone. They gloried in it through their knowledge of their lineage of Abraham. But John showed them that they were not truly the seed of Abraham, but were of the serpent's seed. They were a viperous gang, and they were all alike. Though enemies one to another, they were confederate in opposition to the truth. And isn't that kind of a picture of all these false ministries, the cults and all, you know, they're really enemies of each other, but boy, bring the true word of God in their midst, and they will rally together and rise up as one 
huge chorus of confusion. Confederate and mischief. A wicked generation. And they ought to be told so. It is appropriate for the ministers of Christ to be bold in showing sinners their true character. John gives them the alarm. Who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? This implies that they were in danger of wrath. And their case was desperate. For their hearts were so hardened in sin that it would be next to a miracle to effect any hopeful change in them. What fear has been put into them that they would inquire after the true kingdom of heaven? For there was wrath to come, vials of wrath to be poured out, the stores of which were treasured up till that time. And it is the great concern of every one of us to flee from this same wrath. It is also wonderful mercy that we are being warned to flee from this wrath. Who warned us? The wrath is about to come forth upon this planet. We've seen shadows of it. We've seen glimpses of it. It is about to encompass the earth. The wrath is about to come. It comes forth economically. It'll come forth in terms of persecution later this year. It's going to come forth in terms of world war next year. And then it will manifest as a beast rising up out of the sea as a little horn takes his place for the final indignation by the end of 2012. Who has warned you to flee from this wrath that is coming? This is the Scripture's word of exhortation. Bring forth fruit appropriate for repentance. Because you've been warned to flee from the wrath that is coming, let the terror of the Lord persuade you to lead a holy life. Professing repentance alone is not enough. You must show evidence that you are true penitence. Repentance is seated in the heart, not in the mind. It is not with our knowledge of good and evil that we repent. It is not based on our knowledge of doctrine or debating whether the Lord's name should be spoken in Hebrew as Yeshua or in English as Jesus. This has nothing to do with repentance. It's just vanity of vanities as if the mind of man can somehow apprehend the revelation of God. It's people that are in complete denial of their own rebellion and their own their state of absolute apostasy, thinking that somehow reasoning these things out is going to bring them to holiness. But it is only the anointing that breaks the yoke. If none, I believe it says in the book of Romans, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Christ. You can have whatever doctrines you want. Some of you no doubt believe in a doctrine called oneness. And I call it an abomination. You can pick up your stones if I'm enraging you. But these false doctrines are not going to save us. Doctrine alone can't save us. We must repent from the heart. There is a root. But in vain do we pretend to have repentance if we do not bring forth the fruit of it in universal reformation, forsaking all sin, including the sin of our minds, and cleaving to that which is good. And these are the fruits worthy of repentance. 
Mere professing repentance in outward acts is insufficient. There must be a, a turning or a changing of the heart. It becomes the true penitent to humble himself and become low in his own eyes and to be thankful for the smallest of mercies and to be patient under the greatest of afflictions and to be watchful and vigilant against any appearance of sin and to take a drastic approach to it, to abound in every duty towards the Lord and to be charitable and merciful and loving rather than judging others. Pretend not. Presume not. Do not say within yourselves, you are such and such. Be not of a high opinion, for this will not save you. Harbor no such conceits. Do not rock yourself to sleep with flattery, for you are living in a fool's paradise. And note that God takes notice of what you say within your own soul. That which you dare not speak out, the Lord is acquainted with all the false rest of the soul and the fallacies with which the apostate believer deludes himself, but which he is fearful to even discover, lest it should become undeceived. Many hide the lies within them that lead their lives to ruin. And in their right hand, and they roll it under their tongue, because they are so ashamed to own it. They keep the devil's interest by keeping the devil's counsel. And John showed them their pretense, claiming Abraham as their father, and that they were not sinners as the Gentiles. It was fit, therefore, that he would call them to repent. But they declared they were Jews, a holy nation, and they needed not to repent. John debunked this false thinking, how foolish and groundless this pretense was. They thought that being the physical seed of Abraham was enough, and that they were therefore the people of God, only to find out they were truly sons of the serpent, and they were marked for ruin, and they will not avoid the speedy and sure judgment that their apostasy warranted for the axe was coming down upon them and that right soon and how sore and severe their doom would be note the final determination of judgment whose fan is in his hand his ability to distinguish as the eternal wisdom of the father who can see through all true light and has all authority to distinguish as the person to whom all judgment is committed, the fan is in his hand. Jesus alone is qualified to render the judgment of the church. He is the one who will refine us with the refiner's fire. It is his threshing floor on which we will do business. And it is on this floor that the mixture of the wheat and the chaff shall be separated. The true believers are as the wheat, substantial useful, valuable, bearing forth good fruit, whereas the hypocrites are chaff, they're light, they're empty, they are useless, and they are worthless. They only have bitter fruit, poisonous, noxious, toxic fruit. And they are carried about by the wind, and they're mixed, good among the bad, 
with the same external profession. They make the same visible communication. But there is a day coming when the floor will be purged with fire and the wheat and the chaff shall be separated. This day comes soon as the Lord calls his people out of Babylon and out of apostasy. In this final day of judgment, there will be a great winnowing, a great distinguishing day, which will infallibly determine the difference between the doctrines of the just and the righteous and the doctrines of the Pharisees and the hypocrites. And the true nature of the children of God will be revealed and the true nature of the children of the serpent will be uncovered. And at that point, the saints and the sinners shall be separated forever. Hell is an unquenchable fire, and it will burn the chaff for eternity. And this is the certainty and the portion and the punishment and the everlasting destruction coming to the hypocrites and the false believers, those who presume themselves saved actually know not the Lord. They only know their doctrine. By their knowledge of good and evil, they judge themselves saved. And yet with the same knowledge of good and evil, they judge with harshness their neighbor. Their lives without water, lives without mercy, lives without love. These three abide, faith, hope, and love. But in the life the sons and daughters of the serpents, they have no faith, no hope, and no love. They're only filled with their twisted knowledge of good and evil, which they receive from their father, the devil. And walking in the deception of the deceived, they will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, until the day of judgment has come. So here we have life and death, good and evil, set before us. And accordingly, we are all now in this, and soon we shall all be on the purging. And what will our response be? Let us bring forth fruit that is meat for repentance. The word meat is axios. It means deserving suitable, as if drawing praise, a due reward, that which is comparable to repentance. If your mind and the fruit of your life does not line up with Scripture, then fast and pray. Repent. Confess your sins. Cry out for mercy. Call for prayer. Do whatever you can do to seek the Lord while he may be found, lest you be among those upon whom the, this eternal warning was issued. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is about to come upon your life? Brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord is about to begin. It is about to come upon us. Our financial system crumbles this summer. We go under martial law in the fall. There will be millions that will burn in the next 9-11. You will watch this on television. They will be half burned. 
some of the people will have half of their body burned and they will still be alive. You will see this on TV. And then we'll begin the great mourning and wailing in America. And Rachel shall weep and mourn. And she will not be comforted. She will refuse to be comforted. For her children shall be no more. A great persecution shall come upon the land. A great darkness shall come upon the land. Great mourning. Great. Great fire. This is a time to seek the Lord. It's not a time to argue about doctrines. Now, don't misunderstand me. Doctrine is important. There are doctrines that are cardinal to your salvation. But within the body of believers who hold the truth of the scriptures, we need to be loving one another. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be repenting of our own iniquity, not judging each other. Not arguing over one version of interpretation of prophecy or another. There's just so little mercy and faithfulness in the land today, and there's so much argument, so much division. I would encourage each one of you, you know, get before the Lord, ask the Lord what part of this message was meant for you. Receive that which is good, reject the evil. Hold on to that which is righteous. Seek the Lord. Remember Shannon. Remember me in your prayers. There's a war going on. Our brothers and sisters in the faith are not our enemies. They may have sinned against us. They may have offended. They may have wounded us. We need to repent. We need to forgive them. Either we're wrong and we need to repent, or they're wrong and we need to forgive them and pray for them. But our brothers and sisters are not our enemy. Our enemy is gnashing his teeth because he knows his time is short. He's doing everything he can to bring division, dissension, and, and argument, and anger, and hatred. Anything and everything to quench and snuff out the true word of God, which is the word of holiness, the word of loving kindness, the word of mercy, the word of life. So, brothers and sisters, thanks for letting me share. Appreciate you listening. And I hope uh, hope these words were a blessing to you. Great word tonight, brother. We have about six minutes remaining. I have a quick question from the chat room. Let me fire it off to you. question says, for Brother Benjamin, uh, at what point will Damascus be destroyed? Will there be, excuse me, where will the USA be at this point, and who is the 144,000? <laughs> well, Damascus will be destroyed during World War Three. Which okay. is the Battle of Ezekiel thirty-eight? Wow, and that should yes. take place in you know sometime between now and the fall of twenty twelve. I personally think it's probably um, in twenty twelve, but it, you know it's okay. theoretically possible it could happen sooner. Second part of that was uh, where will the USA be at this point, and uh, who do you think is the one hundred forty-four thousand? Well, the USA is going to be burned. Uh, it's going to collapse financially. It's going to collapse politically. And then it's going to actually get burned. Um, it's going to be attacked. Um, there's going to be tremendous loss of life, tremendous loss of property. There will be a small remnant that will be saved, that will survive the war. And from what I can gather out of Scripture, there will be a tremendous 
um, outpouring or a harvest or a repentance wave that sweeps across the remnant that survives in the United States, and those that are left alive are going to turn to the Lord in mass. And when they do, the Lord's going to raise his hand and the enemies of America will be stopped. But at that point, the United States as a nation will basically cease to exist. There'll be enclaves of saints that have survived, and that's it. The major cities will be destroyed, the economy will be a non-event, and the political system will have transitioned into the one-world government of the Antichrist. So uh, Revelation 18.4 is uh, most likely talking about America, Babylon, not Iraq, huh? Uh, Yeah, well, when Iraq fell, the world's economic system didn't stop. When America falls, the world's economic system will stop. Amen. Babylon is not a geography question. If it Amen. was a simple question of geography, it would not be a mystery. Okay? Mystery Babylon is a spiritual identity of a political system, an economic system, a political system, and ultimately a religious system that is part of ancient mystical Babylon. It's part of the occult system of ancient Babylon. It's part of the secret societies that came out of Babylon, and that's what is, in fact, leading the United States today. So today the U.S. is mystery Babylon. It's the current manifestation. It's not the seventh and final kingdom of mystery Babylon. That's the one world government of the beast. America is actually the daughter of Babylon. We're the descendant empire of the final kingdom of Babylon. We just happen to be the reigning superpower at the time that the Antichrist ascends to the throne. And it's through our death, it's through the fall of America that the one world government comes to power. And who are the 144,000? They're the anointed remnant that are the anointed ones of Micah. You can read about them in Micah. Isaiah 13 talks about them, the mighty ones the Lord is sending. They're the uh, remnant of Jacob who are like, they're the dew among the grass of the earth, and they're like young lions walking among flocks of sheep and goats. That's like the 12,000 from each tribe, right? It would have to be... Yeah, it's twelve thousand virgins, right? It's not the uh, it's not the Christian believer in the last day, is it? No, it's one hundred forty four thousand Jews. Amen. They're Israelis. Yes, absolutely, folks. Uh, but uh, God has a place for you and I in these last days, and uh, He's called us to work until we lose our head or we meet Him in the skies at the last trump. Well, you know, there is a group of believers that absolutely love the Lord. There are other believers that maybe so much don't like Jewish people not realizing Jesus was actually Jewish, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of Jews in heaven. If you don't like Jews, you might not want to go to heaven. Um, <laughs> but one of the things the Lord's going to do, the 144,000 are, in effect, like the special forces. They're his military. They're an actual military unit for the Lord, and he's going to use them to save the remnant. They're going to be walking out the anointed ministry of the Lion of Judah. They're going to bring the power of God onto this planet. And through the hands of these Jews, the Lord is going to save the remnant Gentiles. And so I think any you know spirit of anti-Semitism will be long gone by the end of the tribulation because the, the Gentile believers that have been spared and survived will have been delivered by the hands of these Israelis through the Spirit of the Lord. And, you know, salvation is from the Jews. The Scripture came from the Jews. The Scripture, the prophetic writings, and ultimately the Messiah all came to us from the nation of Israel. And Israel means ruled by God. It's God's kingdom. He has one people, 
one kingdom. He calls it Israel. He's grafted the Gentiles in. He's invited anyone in the world that wants to come. You can join his kingdom. You can immigrate into God's country. There is no restriction whatsoever. All you have to do is repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you can become part of this kingdom. Praise and God. It's a kingdom Amen. that's everlasting. Amen. Amen. God bless you for coming on tonight, brother. I enjoyed it. All right. It. Thank you. Thank you so Hello. much. Folks, that was Benjamin Brook. His website, BenjaminBrook.com. God bless you. I'll see you on the next show.